1: The sports bar with danger and battaglia.
0: Tragic scene at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. Gunshots fired, left one person dead, 21 others wounded. Three suspects have been taken into custody and are under investigation. This was an act of violence from people who were at the parade, who were armed, who got into a disagreement. It's all
1: so disgusting. It's also infuriating. It's also sickening. Mike Danger. Our hearts go out to the people of Kansas City. I want to prop up the heroes that apprehended the suspects that are in custody right now. We'll learn more about this, and we'll continue to keep the families of those affected in our thoughts.
2: Gene Bataglia. Is this the last time we have any kind of championship parade danger? Because mm-hmm. what more can you do to protect people?
0: Going forward, when NFL clubs win the Super Bowl, it's gotten to a point where they're not going to do a parade. Instead, they're going to do the celebration inside the team stadium, where they can control security far better than they can in an open public space.
1: 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan. Rochester. Back in the sports bar, we'll be joined in a few minutes by Mike McAllister. He is the publisher of Syracuse Orange on Fan Nation. We'll talk some Q's men's basketball. We'll talk some Q's football with McAllister. Uh, He's about 15, 20 minutes away here on The Fan Rochester. Appreciate you checking out the video stream today. Like and subscribe if you check out our YouTube channel at The Fan Rochester, streaming on Twitch at The Fan Rochester as well. And as always, the fan sounds its best in the free-to-download Odyssey app. I'm Mike Danger. That's Gene Bataglia.
2: Yeah, like, if you had the Bills winning the Super Bowl, you would expect a parade and down the City Hall and do all that, but would you also expect, like, a big old tailgate, too? <laughs> you know, everybody down at the stadium... I'm just trying to imagine what that day would be like. And yesterday was not a good day for any of us watching what they went through in Kansas City. But I'm still holding out hope we're going to get to celebrate one of those days here in West New York, not just for the Bills, but for the Amherst. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, those situations, uh, what we saw yesterday will be the last. Yeah,
1: they're great moments. They're moments that. Don't just happen every year. I mean, every year we celebrate the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Every year you can celebrate a 4th of July parade. Way. You could celebrate the annual traditions that we all do. This is special. This is the community coming together to celebrate the achievement of a team that you fall in love with. And, yeah, it sucks. Everything about yesterday sucks. I just... I hate it. I hate everything about what we had to talk about yesterday. What we were sharing yesterday. That the story out of Kansas City was horrific and inexplicable. And I hate that we've become numb to it. I hate that you know we 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 reflect on it for a period of time, and uh, there's a cycle that happens. And then once the cycle is up, it's back to normal, and we we kind of become oblivious to the fact that this happens far too often than than any of us want to admit.
2: Yeah, we recognize, too, if you come uh, to the sports bar, you want sports. So with that. And takes. Takes. Yeah, this is kind of a, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming with the Bills salary cap. And I'm presenting one option here so that you're not shocked. You're not surprised. Who could be the surprise salary cap casualty for the Buffalo Bills? Well, I'm not going to give you his name. But I'm just going to tell you these things. What if I told you this is a a player with uh, coming from a position of depth, meaning, okay, here is a name or two that could actually fill the position. What if I told you he's on the wrong side of 30, 31 years old? And then I'm going to tell you the last part, and this might give it away. He has a history of concussions. Oh, no. Listen, I'm talking about Mitch Morse. Look, I don't want this to happen. No one should. But that's a savings of 68 Million And ask yourself, would there be a drop-off between Mitch Morse and Ryan Bates? Yeah, there would would be a drop-off, but you'd have to believe that Brandon Bean and his staff are debating the pros and the cons of making such a
1: move. Sure, that's their job, to debate that and and to evaluate everything. This would shock me. This would be a shocking one. I think Morse is the anchor of that offensive line, an offensive line that was healthy last year, that played – essentially every game every snap i mean you a couple plays off here or there a guy that that has a rap with Josh Allen um showed last year that he can make it through a season without without that injury that might sideline him you you do have a little bit of depth there with Bates 31 years old man it's funny that we look at 31 we're like over the hill i th- i think there's a lot of football left in Mitch Morse I'd be shocked if the Bills looked at that as a as an option for savings.
2: Well, Bean once did this with Richie Incognito and that set him sideways. said, Hey, like we like you back, but we want you back at this number. Oh, okay, I'll do it. And then he did it, and then you know. Yeah, we remember it. how that went. Yeah, we remember how that meant. Did, would you dare
0: restructure?
2: Not restructure. I mean, that would be the the euphemism. You pay cut. We say restructure sometimes yeah. where all right Josh Allen that's a restructure he's not giving me any money back I'm talking pay cut
1: Yeah I don't think you'd do that to Mitch Morse I just don't think you'd do that to There's going to be there's
2: going to be pain somewhere though I don't this. know
1: that I don't know that Mitch Morse is the guy that you would look at on this roster and say that guy needs to take a pay cut I don't know about that Ah uh, who could you do that with McGovern Mm McGovern, free agent signing last year. You know, you paid him pretty, pretty heftily. He was your big he was your big prize, yeah. right? And he played well too. That's a tough thing for Brandon Bean to go in there and say, Hey, great season. You've really adapted well. You're an important part of this team. How about a little haircut? What do you think? It's awesome, Knox. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the guy that you would go.
2: And Knox may just say yes.
1: Where else is he going? I mean, like he's got buddies on this team. He's a part of the community. He's been embraced. If he were to leave, like what, what opportunity is he getting? I mean, the opportunity that he was given by the bills is a gift, a a tight end who wasn't really a tight end, who never caught a touchdown in college. And, You've turned him into something. You could say, because it was interesting to hear Paul Hamilton kind of
2: say, well, for, for Pagula managing the Sabres, the one thing you could say is, hey, they, they got out of contract extensions way too quick. Knox was the one. He could have done Knox or Poyer. Um, I Look, the Poyer situation worked perfectly for the Bills, but Knox, would there have been a really red-hot market for Dawson? Yeah, Knox? I'm
1: not sure about that. Possibly. But I think the the word on Knox, from the early part of his career, the guy can't block, right? He's not really a— He's improved in that, though. He's gotten he better. much, much yes. better. and I think that's, that's where he it brings value now. But you are paying him— A tight
2: end one money, and he's a tight end yeah. two on
1: this team moving yeah. forward. And while we're talking about guys living up to their expectation, you know, tonight, between the uh, Sabres and Panthers, I expect that there'll be some bad blood— and one guy to watch, who I like, I'm going to continue to watch throughout the course of this year because I think his future with the team is fascinating. It's Rasmus Dahlien, who was on the outside uh, in falling out of the top 10 there for the ESPN positional rankings earlier this week. Wojcinski put out his whole series. And, and Dahlien was in the top 10 last season, out of the top 10 this season. I like that he plays with the emotion that he plays with. But I think we all need to expect more out of him. And Paul Hamilton was great last hour. We encourage you to go check that out wherever you get your podcasts, just search out the sports bar and you'll get all of our guest appearances there talking about how he needs to play at an elite level. You drafted him first overall, knowing that is what you want an elite defenseman. He isn't the kind of player in my opinion that strikes fear into the heart of an opponent. I want more physicality out of Dolly, more toughness and honestly for a defenseman I don't think it's too much to ask that you defend just a little bit better. Now they've been better as of late as Paul pointed out to us. The Sabres knew what they were drafting. The offensive upside is nice. Tonight against team that that you know you need to be that that's a team you should be looking at. Like, why can't we be more like what Florida is—a team that got in last year by the skin of their teeth? That you were one point behind last year at the end of the regular season, and guys on that team who couldn't wait to leave you behind. I want to see a physical Darlene. I want to see Darlene play elite. I want to see Darlene shed the stereotypes that exist with European players.
2: Wow. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, this may be the biggest mistake they've made yet because one storyline we just kind of glazed over because timing is everything, right? Hey, the Bills had a big win over the Dolphins, and my gosh, got this London trip coming up, and how are the Bills going to manage London? And wow, the Bills are go- looking to go to four and one on the season. did are really excited. Rasmus Daly in eight years, eighty-eight million. That happened in October. Mm-hmm. The Bills handed out; it hasn't even kicked in yet. Eighty-eight million for that. I'm sorry. Like, if somebody is calling about Rasmus Dahlin, and, and Kevin Adams wouldn't admit to this, but not only am I listening, I'm having that conversation.
1: Yeah, I don't know that anybody's going to look at Rasmus Dahlin and say, yeah, $11 million a year sounds about right.
2: No, nobody is. But now, like, if somebody did, yeah, I'm, I'm taking that call.
1: He's going to be a part of the organization for a long time. You drafted him as such. I just want to see him kind of assume a leadership role at times it's there. His play is spotty that, you know, I think Paul, you know, who watches this team as close as anybody hit it. He hit it right on there. You want him to be elite. He needs to be elite and he hasn't been elite. He's been average some nights better than average. He's been good some nights, but he needs to be elite. He needs to be a minimum I mean, top 10 defensemen in the NHL should be a low bar to clear for Rasmus Dahlien, and he's on the outside looking in right now.
2: Just yeah. when uh, the NFL season's uh, ending, all right, time to get back in the NHL, time to get back into the NBA, and like, oh, there's three games tonight, mm-hmm. all-star weekend, and mm-hmm. I don't care about any of your three-point shooting or your dunk contest. The dunk what contest doesn't matter to you. No, but this does. We now have the video of what this floor is going to look like in Indy for the All-Star Game Sunday night. Danger, it's, dare I say incredible? It's a glass floor, LED display. It'll change colors. It's going to show stats. It's going to show replays. And yeah, it's going to give the sponsors in real time right there on the floor. Look, it looks really cool. And I'm going to reserve my final judgment until I see it in a game and, um. By the way, good on you, NBA. Now I'm going to tune in just to see this on Sunday night, but I get a sense a lot of don't, people.
1: D- don't tune in. It's going to make you angry. Look,
2: you're already angry. Oh, I, dunk
1: contest, three-point contest. Blah. I get
2: a lot. I sense a lot of people are going to hate this floor because it's good. What am I watching here? Am I watching a video game? I don't know how it's going to actually I just play that
1: I think that's what they try to do now. I think so much time is spent by kids and and younger generations playing video games that if you can make your production on television appear more like a video game, it's actually acceptable. It's it's palatable. Well, for the
2: generations that don't play video games, they're gonna hate this. Not just
1: playing video games. I should, I should, you know, or watching all yeah. yeah, watching streams of people. Like, look, we we stream on Twitch. If you're not familiar with what Twitch is, you go to Twitch and most of it is just streaming a video game, guys playing video yeah. games, and people will watch it for hours. There's a reason why Twitch exists. It's a profitable business. Why? Because people are watching. Probably somebody is – and if you're
2: watching, just relay it to us right now on Twitch in the comment section. What video game are you playing right now while you're watching us here on Twitch? <laughs> yeah. I get that. Um, but if this is the future for the NBA and they're ahead of the curve, what can we do in the NFL? I got an idea. Let's start here. When a field goal is good, why not go LED on the uprights? Or yeah. if it's a missed kick, the uprights turn yeah, red. Yeah, Something they, like they that. They have
1: something. It's called uh, Nickelodeon. You can watch football I games on Nickelodeon. I saw that.
2: They did that in the CBS, too. Touchdown, and all of a sudden. Too goes, much. Too much. No, no, no.
1: Too much. And, and you're you're saying we should make a bigger deal out of field goals? No, let's not glorify kicking any more than we already have. But I, I'm okay. You know, here's what we could do in the NFL. Let's use the technology that exists to get the calls Right. <laughs> Let's make sure (laughs) down in distance, you know, and and make sure everything is spotted properly so that we don't have any more questions about where the ball went out of bounds or whether or not that's a first down. Let's let's get that technology sorted out before we start worrying about dummying up the broadcast with uh, slime time and graphics and LED lights. That's what I'd like for the NFL. Uh, I'm with you. I'll check it out. I don't know what to expect. I kind of like the in-season tournament look. Like when they had the floors, it at first I'm like, oh god, that's a lot, and then it just kind of grew on me. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. That, That you know, it doesn't really affect me one way or the other. And look, if there is money to be made. The NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, they will make their money one way or the other. And if this is a way for them to get their sponsors showcased a little bit more frequently, then I'm sure that this isn't the last that we will see of this electronic (laughs) playing surface.
2: So Steph Curry is going to tee up a three and all of a sudden flow is going to appear on the board
1: or whatever it is. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, might be a little annoying. How many blocks does flow have (laughs) in the all-star game over under is set at 0.5? Let's get to Mike McAllister. He is the publisher of Syracuse Orange on Fan Nation. Love having Mike on with us. Just talk some orange athletics. He's got his ear to the ground there in Syracuse. The Orange coming off a big win against North Carolina and making moves, the football team. And, and when you look at the schedule, a lot of people optimistic for the 2024 Syracuse Orange football team. So we'll, we'll get a little state of the Orange from Mike McAllister next in the sports bar. You can join us. At 866-4326, 866 fan
0: You're listening to The Sports Bar with Danger and Vitaglia.
1: On 95.7 oh, yeah. FM and AM 950, The Fan Rochester.
0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.
2: Update: Sabres looking to make it two in a row tonight, but they have a tough opponent, the Florida Panthers, Don Granado, on that
0: opponent. It's going to be a hard-fought game. Um, they don't give you much for time and space. Uh, they come in, I think, on a nine-game road winning streak, so their confidence is very high. Uh, and they they were in complete control of that game last night in, in Pittsburgh against a very experienced team. So we need to stay in the moment to be ready.
2: Our coverage on the Fan Rochester will begin at 7 o'clock tonight. The Amherst began their seven-game and 11-day stretch with a win at Utica. Amherst home tomorrow night as Wilkes-Barre Scranton making their only appearance here this season. RIT is home tomorrow and Saturday against Air Force. We'll talk to Wayne Wilson coming up next hour. One football note today, the Seahawks are going to pay Geno Smith his $12 million bonus, meaning his contract next season is fully guaranteed. Jim Bataglia on the Sports Leader, the Fan Rochester. Top Shelf Sports Talk. You're hanging out in the sports
1: bar with Danger and Battaglia on the Sports Leader, 95.7 FM and AM 950, The Fan, Rochester. He is the publisher of Syracuse on Fan Nation. Mike McAllister joins us in the sports bar. I always like having Mike on to talk some orange athletics mike appreciate you giving us some time and we got to start with the men's basketball team who hey let's face it uh tuesday i I think a lot of people were saying that spread needs to be a lot wider than it is given what carolina did to syracuse earlier this year Uh, i know it's not sustainable that they're going to shoot 63 percent the rest of the season but man that that felt like a pretty significant win in the young tenure of coach red autry how are you mike
3: I'm doing doing quite well, and you're absolutely right. And I, I actually got asked by a lot of people why isn't the spread larger than what it is. And you know, I I agreed that I thought going into it it should have been, but when you start looking at North Carolina and look at what they've done, they haven't played as well on the road as they have at home, even though they have won their share of road games. And they did recently lose a game at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech isn't isn't very good, so and and Syracuse has played much better at home. So that was kind of I think where why the line fell where it did is there was some expectation that Syracuse was going to play better because they were at home and that North Carolina doesn't play as well on the road. A lot of top 10 teams have lost to inferior teams on the road this year, almost in historic fashion, the number of times that's happened. So, you know, all of that combined, and it was kind of the perfect storm. And then, as you said, Syracuse played just about as well as it possibly could in order to get the win, but definitely a signature win for coach Autry early in his career.
2: Yeah, Mike, I'm, you know, Red Autry trying to, you know, build a program here, and I want to go back a couple weeks here because it, it feels like there's more to the story, although we haven't really gotten it. Um, your, your thoughts on the dismissal of Benny Williams, like the reasons for it? What do we know at this point? And you know, uh, you know how how the team has kind of responded to since that move.
3: Yeah, well, we don't know a lot of details, unfortunately, and I'm not sure that we're going to from the Syracuse side of things. I think the only way we will is if Benny decides to provide his side of the story. And and then again, you're only going to get his perspective. I don't think anyone at Syracuse is going to talk about it much. I'm not sure there's really much of a benefit for them to do so, other than to just sort of uh, curb our curiosity as much as anything. But, you know, he, he's had... Uh, Several chances and and you know he he was suspended before the season started, and that bled into the regular season. Uh, we know he missed a couple of games last year with some mental health situations um, and you know there were some incidents on the court this year, most notably at Wake Forest when he kind of bumped into red after getting a technical and you know some pe I didn't see it, but some people said that he spit on the floor as well, and you know I think all of that combined. there must have been another incident is my guess um, after that Wake Forest game, perhaps in a practice. And it was sort of the last straw at that point. And, you know, there's no question that they miss his physical presence because when he's locked in and he's focused, he can be someone that gives them, um, you know, some size and some rebounding and some physicality inside. But at the same time, he just seemed to fall in love with wanting to be out on the perimeter and that's not really where his strength was. So that hurts you on the court. But um, ultimately at the end of the day, I think the fact that they have bounced back as a team and rallied and it would have been very easy to kind of quit given the way, the way forest game went, you lose to Clemson. It's a close game against a bad Louisville team. And then you get North Carolina coming in who just blew you out earlier in the season. Yeah. I think it would have been the easy route would have been, you know, sort of, Ho hum. Go through the motions and get through the rest of the season. But uh, credit to the coaching staff and to the players for rallying and and putting together their best performance of the season despite being severely undermanned.
1: Yeah, Mike. You know what? That the Benny Williams uh, dismissal feels like that was very much a line in the sand kind of moment for Red Autry. That that yeah. you know from that moment on, like if you're not a part of what we're trying to do here, we will move on from you. And so I know how much how much Williams meant to to the his teammates. But but we've seen these teammates, and at least at my, to my eyes, it feels like what Red is is trying to instill in these kids is starting to cut through. There's still some boneheaded plays that happen, and and I think that's part of the the growing process of a, a young team. But talk a little bit about the development of guys like JJ and guys like Judah, Chris Bell, who you know in that in that Carolina game, I loved it. I, I saw Bell with a wide open shot late in the game, and rather than chuck it up there, quick you know prematurely realizing in the moment, no, we need to kill more time and holding to the ball rather than taking the shot and risking missing that one.
3: Yeah. Smart play there. And I thought, um, you know, the previous two games, I remember when they were playing against Louisville and Seth Greenberg was on the call on um, I know it was ESPN or ESPN two, whatever network it was. And he kept saying, Chris Bell doesn't realize how much of an impact he can have on the game outside of just shooting the ball and how, how, and and right down the stretch of that game, Chris Bell makes a, a chase, chase from behind block, yeah. which I think two games ago he wouldn't have done that. And then against Clemson, he had an okay shooting game, not a great shooting game, but he was in the second half especially really engaged defensively. I know they didn't win that game, but he still was. And against uh, North Carolina, again, had a decent shooting day, not a fantastic shooting day, but he was given giving all-out effort defensively in the zone and on the boards. I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's going to get you 10 to 12 rebounds a game. That's not him. But I don't think that the consistent effort and physicality was there on that end. And the last three games or so, I think since the Wake Forest game, we've seen him be that way more consistently even when the shot's not falling. And that's where... His development comes in. J.J. Starling, look at how he was shooting the ball earlier in the season and look at what he's been doing the last 8 to 10 games or so. He's right around 40% during that time. So he's been much better shooting the ball, and especially that mid-range jumper has kind of come uh, become something he really feels comfortable with and, and has done a great job with. Judah Mintz was the most under control against North Carolina that I've seen him all season, yeah. and I thought he did a good job of of when to go himself, when to set someone else up, when to slow it down. Coach Autry was fantastic at dictating tempo with his team as well. So, yeah, all of those things, the they still have flaws. They're going to have flaws. They're going to struggle rebounding. They don't have the size inside because of injuries and the Benny Williams dismissal, and and that's not going to go away. But you can make up for that with effort. You can make up for that with energy. With four or five guys crashing the board so that that discrepancy is not as large. And then what they did offensively, which is just not take bad shots. That was the biggest thing. They shot 63%. That's not sustainable over several games in a row. But what you can do is keep your percentage high by taking good shots, moving the ball, and playing together, and they did that against North Carolina.
2: Yeah, so I'm looking at, uh, Mike, the rest of the schedule here. And again, Georgia Tech, you pointed out how they beat North Carolina. And that's a team with a losing conference record, NC State. You should have an unbelievable atmosphere on the 24th against Notre Dame on Beheim Day. Um, And then uh, I I guess it would be Senior Day, but whatever. It would be the last home game of the regular season against Virginia Tech. And then against a bad Louisville team on the road and against a Clemson team on the road that you just played tough. I mean, we we seemingly play this number every year with the Orange. Like, what number do they need to get to in terms of wins? And right now – at 16 in an ACC that, let's be honest, it's not what it once was. So right now where the Orange stand, how do you handicap their chances to sneak into the tournament this year?
3: Well, they've, they've, by beating North Carolina, they gave themselves a shot. And so if you win out right now, I don't think anyone expects them to, especially as you mentioned, it's a younger team. They've been up and down all season. But if they were to win the rest of their regular season games, given North Carolina is either going to be quad one or quad two, Clemson is definitely, definitely going to be a quad one win and you're going to move well up, probably into the top 60, maybe the top 50 in net rankings. If you do that and you're going to have enough road wins, enough quality wins and enough overall wins that you should put yourself in a spot where even if you didn't win an ACC tournament game, you still feel like you're going to be on the bubble and have a shot to make the tournament. But if you're handicapping it, I think if you, you know, the the final five, six games, whatever it is, if you lose two of them, let's say you lose at North Carolina State and at Clemson, then you probably need to win two in the ACC tournament to to feel like you, you got a shot there. Um, if you win, if you only lose one of your remaining games, let's say you figure out a way to win. either You split at North Carolina State or at Clemson and then you win the rest of your games. Now I think you put yourself in a good spot where if you win one game in the ACC tournament, you feel like you got a good shot. And then if you win another one, you feel like you pretty much have solidified it at that point. So they've given themselves a shot to be in those scenarios. I think they control their own destiny, which is a good thing is you keep winning and you'll be fine. Um, But there's no question that there's not a ton of room for error here. And so I think you'd be best served just maybe losing one at most for, the, for your final regular season games and then avoid losing to one of the bad teams in the ACC tournament and, and you'll be right in the mix but again I think largely it's going to depend on also what a lot of these other teams do because other teams are going to win games and lose games and so you know if, if a lot of the teams that you're in the mix with lose a bunch of games and you're winning a bunch of games then obviously that's going to have everything going in the right direction.
1: Mike, um, we look at uh, Joe Girard doing what he does at Clemson, and it's a reminder of how quickly and how much the game is changing right before our very eyes and, Part of the job now of, of a head coach is to be more than a recruiter, more than a head coach. I mean, you have to have a maintain a relationship with these guys and make sure that they're doing, uh, they're getting what they can get in order to stay a part of the program. And I, I guess I'm curious as to, you know, when we look at this roster and how young it is, and the, you know, a lot of sophomores and guys that you you hope can can be a foundation for next year, the year after that. What what do you think the likelihood is? that some of these guys are, are buying in enough that the NIL money that might be out there isn't enough to lure them away and they might actually come back for another season next year at Syracuse.
3: Well, I think I got some of my answer to that question because I wonder the exact same thing with how they performed against North Carolina and, and winning that game and playing as together as they did. And you saw it with you know, when Kodir Copeland wasn't in the game in the way that he was cheering for his teammates when they were making plays, and um you know the entire bench was engaged throughout and so I think and even a guy like Kyle Cuff, who you know really hasn't played at all the last three games and and I think four games ago he played only a couple of minutes kind of in garbage time, so um he really hasn't played much at all, and yet on the bench, he was really engaged in what was going on, and all of that speaks to the culture and so is it realistic that everybody comes back because everybody could? Uh, no, I don't think that's realistic, but I think because of that culture and that togetherness and there is something to say for that and players being happy where they're at and, and liking who they're playing with and who they're being coached by, I think that gives Syracuse a chance to retain a good chunk of those players. You know, if you get JJ, Quadir, Justin, Malik, um, and you keep most of your bench coming back and let's say Judah decides he's going to the NBA no matter what. And then maybe you lose one other guy like a Monier Hema or a Peter Carey, or, you know, someone that's sort of buried on the bench a little bit. One of those guys decides that, that they're going to leave because they want to go somewhere where they can play a little bit more. You still feel like that foundation is there and you're going to have a lot of experience and a lot of leadership coming back. So, you know, I, I think, with the way that they played, it speaks to the, the culture is about as good as it's going to get, as good as you could hope for if you're a Syracuse fan, to, to keep a lot of those guys. So there's, there's no question there's going to be pressure. Anytime you have a good player, you know, a Judah Mint, a J.J. Starling, etc., there's always going to be that pressure from the outside that, hey, if, if you went into the portal, you might get some more money from, from NIL situations. But I think most of those guys are doing pretty well here, so it's not like they're getting nothing, you know?
2: mike uh, i 'm trying to picture what uh, nine days from today will look like when Notre Dame comes in and it 's going to be the day they uh, celebrate uh, jim beheim and you know just just to let you know I hated the way and i 'm sure a lot of people share this sentiment that you know the dismount for Bayheim. I thought uh, this should have been done last year when you 're honoring the twenty year anniversary of the championship team. It was very clumsily handled handled by everybody um, all around, but now we 're here we are a year later and I'm just wondering, A, what you kind of expect uh, that atmosphere is going to be like coming up on on Saturday of next week. And then, B, I'm actually kind of surprised, too, that Bayheim, I thought there was going to be this bigger shadow. And for the most part, he's been in the background, although he did, uh, you know, weigh in on the ACC having, you know, six teams in the tournament as opposed to three that Lenardi put out.
3: Yeah. So I I think that speaks to Bayheim's respect for Coach Autry. The fact that he hasn't loomed over it. And I think he he understands what that would be like for Coach Autry and how that really wouldn't be fair to Coach Autry to because he wants to put his own stamp on the program and you know, that's not to take anything away from the way that that Beheim ran it, but no one's gonna no two people are gonna run things exactly the same. And so Beheim I think has been very respectful of what Coach Autry is trying to do in not being Uh, you know, looming over the program. And I'm sure he wants to be at games, right? When he was here as the head head, uh, basketball coach, he went to lacrosse games, women's basketball games, football. I mean, he went to a lot of different sporting events to support the other programs. And he's a sports junkie. So I'm sure, you know, he would love to be able to be there, but also understands... You know that he he needs to give Red some space for a little bit before he can do that and not feel like he's sort of you know that figure overhead of, of things. So I think that speaks to to how strong that relationship is. As far as how you know next Saturday's game is going to be in the atmosphere, I think it's going to be fantastic. Even those that you know the last few years haven't gone well and said you know what I think it's time to move on from Bayheim. Even those that were that were strongly in that camp they still love what Beheim did and respect what he did at Syracuse for nearly 50 years. You know, I, so I think it's going to be um, a really, really strong atmosphere. You're going to get uh, a huge crowd. You're going to get an energetic crowd. They're going to have a great video montage, I would imagine. and, um, he's going to give a speech, he's probably going to get a little emotional, the crowd's going to be extremely supportive. I'm really excited to see how it is. I'm taking my son and my wife, we're going to go sit up in the in the nosebleeds and, and watch it from up there, so I'm, I'm excited to see what the atmosphere is going to be like, but um, I, I think it's going to be a, a great atmosphere and a great tribute to uh, one of the best coaches to ever do it.
1: Mike, while we're talking Syracuse sports with you, uh, we've got to get your take on mm-hmm. what the off season has been like here. For the orange football team, you know, we like Dino Babers, but we've turned the page, and, and it looks like Fram Brown is doing a hell of a job in putting together a roster that will face a schedule that looks fairly beatable the upcoming season. What's your take?
3: Uh, they've kept me very busy, I'll say that, uh, with all the recruiting stuff and the transfers and, and everything else. It's It's been a whirlwind, but it's been a lot of fun to cover, and you know, to your point about Dino, I don't think there was anyone that didn't have any have positive things to say about Dino the guy, right? And and he did represent the university um, off the field in an extremely at an extremely high level, a very positive way. But you know, th- sometimes things run its course, and it did. And I think what Fran Brown has done is he's just injected this level of energy and hype that I don't think even the most passionate, diehard, optimistic Syracuse fans could have seen happening where you you think about where Syracuse was even three four months ago and if you would have told Syracuse fans hey going into next year you're going to have Texas A&M's best pass rusher Ohio State starting quarterback um, one of Georgia's best young wide receivers and also you're going to get linemen from Georgia and Alabama coming into your program they would have thought that you had lobsters crawling out of your head, that you were you were absolutely crazy. But yet that's what Fran Brown has been able to do. And on top of that, he's attracted five, six or so, whatever the number is, uh, four-star recruits out of high school coming in to kind of set the foundation for the program as well. It's been a lot of fun. The hype is going to be real. I'm excited to see what they look like during the spring game. But as you said, that schedule is – about as favorable as you could hope for. And I think they're going to be a dark horse team to, to make a run at potentially, uh, you know, competing for that ACC championship game. And if they're able to get to that game, you win it, you're in the college football playoff. And I know that seems crazy to talk about a team that just made back-to-back bowl games for the first time in a decade. And now you're saying, are they a college football playoff contender? But the way the schedule lays out and with the talent they brought in, I don't think that that's uh, insane talk. Uh, to have that in the back of your mind is a possibility.
2: It, Mike, I'm going to ask you a question that doesn't have an answer, but I, I'm, I'm concerned about the future <laughs> okay. here um, the, for the ACC, because if Florida state is making all yeah. this noise and ah, gosh, I, I could, I could picture a world where Florida state says, Hey, Clemson and North Carolina and Duke, let's go over. And you know, what's going to be left of the ACC and, Uh, Where is, where does this leave all Syracuse? And I guess if I had my wish, my wish would be just go let football do their own thing. And then every other sport goes back to being regional and let's have Syracuse basketball back in the big East.
3: Uh, I think everybody, almost everybody listening and most Syracuse fans would love that. And I, you know, I think Chip Kelly made that suggestion in, in a video that went viral earlier this past season and, I think ultimately that's probably where it's going to end up, but you might be a decade or so away from getting there. As far as the near term goes, here's what's positive for Syracuse. Doesn't seem like the SEC wants Florida State. Not really sure the Big Ten wants Florida State. So I know Florida State's trying to get out of the ACC because they think they can go somewhere and get more money, but you have to have another conference that wants you, and I'm not really sure there's another conference that covets them as much as they think they do. Florida doesn't want Florida State in the in the SEC, that's for sure. Um, and, and so, you know, with, with how many teams these other conferences have, maybe Florida state doesn't end up having anywhere to go. I still think you're probably a, a couple of years off before all of that litigation plays plays out. But if you're Syracuse, the best thing you can do is make yourself an attractive football program. And the way you do that, you got all this hype, right? That we just talked about. Now you have to capitalize on that. If you take that hype and you have a 9 or 10 win season where you're in the discussion of the college football playoff for a chunk of the year, even if you don't make it and you end up at a pretty good bowl game and you finish the year on a high note and, and you keep bringing in the talent from a rec- from uh, high school recruiting and, and from transfers and Fran Brown can keep that hype going, now you make yourself attractive to uh, you know the next round of conference realignment, which is going to happen at some point and that keeps you in the mix because until they get to that model where football is separate, Syracuse basketball is still a national brand that's very attractive to a lot of conferences. They have a lot of, of strong um, other sports that are going to be attractive as well. When you think about men's and women's lacrosse, you think about men's soccer just won a national championship. Track and field is always good. I know those don't drive things, but all of that in a package makes Syracuse an attractive option uh, to maybe the Big Ten or the Big 12. So your best option right now is make your football program attractive, give it some national uh, hype and and some national attention so that if the ACC does implode, you're still a school that these other conferences want. That's the best thing you can do for Syracuse.
1: Mike, I always appreciate the time that we get to spend talking Orange Athletics. I wanted to make sure you had some time here at the end of our conversation to let our audience know about what you're doing there at uh, Fan Nation and how we can get more of your work.
3: You can uh, go to the website allsyracuse.com. Not only do we cover, you know, we spend a lot of time on recruiting. We cover the, the men's and women's basketball team and football, but we do cover a lot of those other sports: men's and women's lacrosse. We cover softball. We we give you everything from Syracuse athletics. You can follow me on Twitter at McAllister Mike One, or you can follow our website's account at Syracuse on FN on uh, I guess it's called X now, uh, but Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, so those are the the primary places where you can find us, and um, you know uh, we'll be tweeting out our articles. And um, I complain about officials a lot, so if you don't like officials, <laughs> come follow me, and I'll 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 make fun of them with you. But um, yeah, those are the primary places: allsyracuse.com, and then follow us on Twitter. And and uh, you know, hey, interact with us, tell us where we're wrong, yell at me. But uh, you know, I love the banter back and forth. So uh, you know. Don't be strangers if if you follow me on social media.
2: be oh, careful what you wish for, though. You know, like sometimes people <laughs> yelling at me. I I'm already like, get up. enough. I get en- I get enough
3: of the trolls already, yeah. so I, I can
1: handle it. You don't know about the sports bar I, regulars, yeah, though. Yeah. The sports bar regulars are a special bunch, Mike. And you're inviting uh, you're inviting right. chaos into your life. We appreciate you joining us and and giving us some of your time. Enjoy <laughs> your weekend, bud. Thanks, guys. You too. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Mike, Matt, uh, Mike McAllister is the publisher of Syracuse Orange on Fan Nation, doing a great job covering Orange athletics. Great to get his perspective on what's going on with the Orange football team here through the offseason.
2: There's one thing I'm going to push back. <laughs> you really would have to be. Everything would have to go right to talk about Syracuse in the playoff
1: next year. Oh, you have to. Uh, everything mean, would have to be perfect. Play out that, that schedule. I mean, you have to you have to roll undefeated I mean you you can't have a blemish no you you have to win the ACC yeah you can't have a blemish if if you had one loss and you're in the ACC championship then that's something but the, that right, schedule so, but, isn't
2: but it's it's it looks easy though like honestly like okay let's start off here uh Ohio at home win Georgia Tech at home
1: should be a win.
2: Stanford at home, Win. Holy Cross Win. at home, at UNLV.
1: Yeah, you're five and zero. Oh.
2: At NC State, who was ranked last year. Yeah,
1: that one. Okay, that's a the, okay.
2: There we go. So now that's when you get into the meat that, of the that. That's Columbus Day weekend. You could have two five and zero oh teams. Okay, then uh, you get your bye week at Pitt. Got to beat Pitt. Home against Virginia Tech. Gotta be Virginia, like the, at Boston College. Win. win, yes. At Cal, I don't know what it, should yeah, be a I win. UConn win, and then you are at Miami. Mm. You're only playing two ranked teams now, both on the road, mind you. I don't see Clemson on this schedule. No, I don't see Florida State on this schedule. Right. Like this is like the benefit of bringing these slappies left- leftovers from the Pac-12 in this morphed conference. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you should be able to stack some wins there. I I don't know that I would say they're college football playoff bound. That seems aggressive. You would have to win the ACC championship because honestly, how many teams
2: is the ACC st- sending?
1: One. Uno. Yeah. Yeah. One. And that ACC championship will likely be against a team like a Florida State or a Clemson. Right. The teams that you didn't see on your schedule in the regular <laughs> season. Good luck with that. Um. But it, it is encouraging, and and I agree with everything he's saying there. If you want to be prepared for the next round of realignment, conference realignment, get that football team humming and watch what happens. God, it'd be great if they get the basketball team back in the Big East. That would be so much fun oh, to renew would those rivalries.
2: We'd love it.
1: Renew the rivalry with UConn. Just, oh, it'd be great. UConn, Villanova, Georgetown. It would be great. Just a college... That's a college basketball conference. It, it, it went through its dark, dark time, but it's back. And right now it feels like that, that is the, the most fun of all the college basketball conferences. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm saying it's the most fun. What they have in the Big East is a lot of fun. Uh, all right, got to get to uh, happy hour next in the sports bar. We've got a round of shots coming up and we'll talk to RIT men's hockey coach, Wayne Wilson, all before six o'clock. You're welcome to join us as well. Pull up a stool. 585-866-4FAN. 866-4326. You're listening to the Sports Bar with Danger in Bataglia. On 95.7
0: FM and AM 950, The Fan Rochester.